You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Didn't we have some great worship this morning? Wasn't that incredible? Love that. We had such a great time. It's so good to see everybody today. I know we've got some people that are coming back from uh, COVID, the COVID thing, and so glad we're having you back, coming back. And we know we have people that are getting their vaccines and coming back to Bayshore. We're so grateful that you're a part of this weekend's service, and we're just excited that you're here with us this weekend. So uh, just love you guys and really appreciate you. I want to mention uh, Nate Williams' dad is here. Mr. Williams, Mr. Williams, it's so good to have you. Give Nate's dad a big hand. And uh, his mom and Jen are watching online, so thank you so much for being here today. I also wanted to mention, we have a, a, a special uh, person in our church that just graduated from, from Navy, uh, the Navy school there, the, the Navy basic training in San Antonio, uh, uh, Texas, and this is Dara Sin. I want you to see a picture of Dara. There's Dara in the middle. There's Dara. Dara has just graduated on Monday, and she's from this campus. She watches us online. So Dara, congratulations. She's actually planning to be a dentist. She's doing the medical track there with the Navy. So Dara, we're very, very proud of you, and we're so grateful that you're representing Bayshore in San Antonio, Texas. Thank you so much. And we want to say big hello to our Fenwick Island campus, and uh, we're grateful for everybody there, Pastor Jeremy and everybody that's doing such a great job in Fenwick Island. We love you guys, and so glad that you're part of what we're doing right now. We're all together as one church right now, and we have an amazing church in, in Rehoboth, and also uh, our online campus. If you're watching online, thank you so much. And WGMD Radio is listening, so we want to welcome you guys as well. So today we're in part three of a series uh, that is called Finish Line, and this series is about crossing the finish line and uh, how you can get to the finish line. Hey, listen, starting is great. You can start great. You can start out like gangbusters in your Christian faith. Uh, it's, It's okay, and it's great to start well, but crossing the finish line is what really, really matters. I remember when I finished my uh, graduate, one of my graduate degrees uh, with Liberty University, and I, and I had my last paper done, my last paper done. You had to write that beast of the paper at the end. And I remember getting it all cited well and the citations, the proofreading done, and then finally pushing send and getting that sent off. It was such a great feeling to finish. Some of you know what it's like when you start a house. You know, you're building a house and you're doing a lot of the work yourself and you're involved and you've got a lot of sweat equity in the house and, and you've been like working for nine months, a year, and you just can't wait to get that house done. And you finally get your certificate of occupancy and you move in and you're in the house and you got the pictures hung. And that's such a good feeling. You think about the Christian life. You know, it's, it's getting to that finish line is what really, really matters. And here's what Paul said in his last letter that he wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. And here's what he said. For I've, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race, and I've kept the faith. Now there's in store for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. So he said, I've finished the race, and I have fought the good fight. 
When you think about that phrase, I've fought the good fight, one of the things that that implies is that if he has fought the good fight, that implies that there is an adversary that he is engaged with. You don't have a fight in the absence of an adversary. So when, you, when Paul said, I have fought the good fight, my question is, Paul, who were you fighting? What was the adversary? What was the opponent that you were fighting? What was the, the forces that you were wrestling with that you won that fight over them? So that's important for us to understand because I believe that the persons, uh, the, issue, the issues that Paul was dealing with, the enemy that he was fighting is the very same enemy that you're fighting and the very same enemy that I'm fighting. So he said, I fought the good fight. Who's he fighting against? Who's he dealing with? Well, the New Testament teaches us that there's a trifold enemy that people that follow Jesus fight with. We have a trifold enemy. In other words, there's, there's a three-headed monster that we all deal with in our Christian life, and it is the fight that we have, and we've got to win the fight against that trifold enemy. Now, they're, they're, the first part of that uh, adversary that we fight is what is called the flesh. So in the Bible, when the Bible talks about, the New Testament talks about your adversary, what you're wrestling against to get to the finish line, the Bible says you're fighting against your flesh, the world, and the devil. The flesh, the world, and the devil. That's who you are fighting. That's who I'm fighting. That's who Paul was fighting. So how can we get victory over those three things? Let's talk, first of all, about the flesh. Now, the flesh, first of all, it's important to know that our flesh, when it talks about the flesh in the Bible, it doesn't mean uh, so much your body. You know, you are to love your body. You know, you're to love your body. If you have a, like a, a kind of a dysfunctional relationship with your body and you don't like your body, you don't like that you're tall, you don't like how you look, that's not a good thing. You should love your body. Your body is a gift from God, and, you know, my body is how God made me. You know, I don't have any hair, you know, and I think, you know, hey, God made a few good heads, and he put hair on the rest of them. That's what I believe, you know. <laughs> but uh, loving your body is important. Never, ever hate your body. That is dysfunctional. But when he talks about battling against your flesh, it's talking about your sin nature. Your flesh is corrupted. My flesh has a sin nature inherent in it that is constantly pulling away from the Lord and not pursuing the Lord. My first car, do you remember your first car? My very first car was a 1969 Chevrolet Nova, a four-door Chevrolet Nova, had the uh, column shift. And this was a, I love the car, it was a great car, uh, you know, uh, but the problem with this car, it had something wrong with the front end uh, system and the ball joints were messed up, something was wrong with it. Didn't matter how many times I lined that car up, took it to the alignment uh, people, uh, it always pulled to the right. It had a propensity to always pull to the right. I never got it straightened out. So consequently, it wore out tires, and it was just a really, really problem that way. And your human nature is like that. Your human nature is constantly pulling in a direction away from God. Your human nature, your sinful nature. Now, there's two things about your flesh, that, that sinful nature, that falling nature that you have to deal with. Uh, two things about it that's important. The first thing is, is it doesn't want to do what it should do. Your flesh doesn't want to do what it should do, and it wants to do what it shouldn't do. So, you know, the first part of that is it doesn't want to do what it should do. You know, by nature, our flesh is, is not disciplined. 
Uh, I was going to say our flesh is lazy, and I don't want to get too abrupt there, but our flesh doesn't want to do what it should do. So you've got you've to make your flesh. Paul had to make his flesh. If he's going to win the battle, he had to make his flesh do what his flesh did not want to do. And one of the things that can happen to us is we can begin to live our life simply catering to our flesh, doing what our flesh wants to do. And sometimes what you don't want to do is the very thing you need to do because the thing that you don't want to do is going to get you where you want to go. So you've got to discipline your flesh. You've got to make your flesh do what it needs to do. Like, for instance, your flesh probably doesn't want to read the Bible. You know, when I get up in the morning, you know, and, uh, and I, I have, you know, time to read my Bible, and we're, here's what I flesh, my flesh wrestles with. Why don't you just, don't read the Bible today. Why don't you just sit back and watch the Weather Channel? Because I love the Weather Channel. Anybody love the Weather Channel? That's my channel. There's no politics on the Weather Channel. It's just about weather. So I like the Weather Channel. And so I watch the Weather Channel, but my flesh would rather, would rather watch the Weather Channel than to open my ESV Bible and have my devotions. My flesh doesn't want to do what it ought to do. So I've got to make my flesh do what it does not want to do. My flesh doesn't want to pray. When I'm riding down to Rehoboth, that's when I have my prayer time. I put some worship music on, uh, Maranatha old music, music from when I had hair. I got that music playing, and I listen to that, and I'm worshiping the Lord in the car, but my flesh would rather listen to the radio and listen to the news. So I have to make my flesh do what it does not want to do. When I get up in the morning, first thing I do I wake up at 5.45 in the morning, the alarm goes off, and, uh, and I jump right out of bed. The reason I jump right out of bed is because the night before, I have got my coffee grinds in the coffee maker, and the coffee grounds are in there, and the water's in there, and all I got to do is flip on the switch. And when I open my eyes, my body says, oh, man, you know, I, you know, I should say, good morning, Lord. I say, good Lord morning. I can't believe it's morning. And, but I think, oh, I got coffee. So I go out in the kitchen and flip that switch. Now, I have this thing where uh, I read this book called Atomic Habits by James Clear, and it's about how to have good habits. And he said if you want to create habits, good habits in your life, you need to do what he calls habit stacking. In other words, you connect a new habit with an old habit that you have to get that discipline established in your life. So I want to do push-ups every morning. I want to do push-ups. My dad's done push-ups his whole life, and I want to do push-ups in the morning. I want to, you know, get my blood flowing to my heart, and I want to, you know, uh, you know, I want to, you know, get healthy and all that. So when I flip the switch to my coffee maker, that's the trigger. That's the habit that says now it's time to do my push-ups. So I get down on the floor. And I do my push-ups. And, uh, you know, I'm just like, at first, I'm like, oh, man, I can't believe I got to get down here. And if I get down here, am I going to be able to get back up? You know how it is when you get older? I mean, is there, when you get down there, am I going to make it back up? You know, so I get down there, and I start doing those push-ups. And, I mean, I start in 10, and then I keep going. And I always try to do as many as I did the day before or more. And it's the habit stacking. I flip the switch on the coffee. That flips the switch in my head that it's time to do my push-ups. Now, what about coming to church? One of the things I think is happening in America right now, you know, church attendance is down right now, not just because of COVID. Church attendance has dropped 20%, 20% in the last 20 years. Uh, 20 years ago, 2000, uh, when, the, uh, when it turned 2000, the year 2000, 67% of Americans were connected to a church or a synagogue 
or some church establishment, and they just did a Gallup just did a new poll, and now it's 47%, only 47%, 50% of people in America, under 50% for the first time, are not connected to a church and devoted to a church. And I think that is really, really alarming. When I hear that, one of the things that it tells me is that we need to discipline our bodies. We need to say, because sometimes when you wake up and, and sometimes, you know, maybe you've got your COVID shot, maybe you've gone through, you know, the, the, the thing and we're getting through the COVID scare, we're getting better, we're getting there and all that. And maybe you're wrestling with getting that discipline back in your life uh, to get back into church. But here's what I believe. I believe there is no substitute for being with other believers, being with people who love Jesus. I'm telling you what, you can listen to Bethel Music online, YouTube like Karen and I do, but there is no substitute for being with other people sitting next to you, worshiping God, loving Jesus, singing, this is how I might fight my battles. That is a great, great experience. Karen and I, we, you know, we, turn, we turn Bethel Music on. We crank it up, you know, we got speakers all around the house. We crank it up. We're worshiping the Lord and we have a good time. And sometimes I do my walking inside if it's raining outside. And I listen to that and all that. And I love it. I love it. I mean, I just like certain songs I love. But, you know, there's no substitute. Today, when I was on the front row and we were singing, this is how we fight our battles. And we were worshiping the Lord and that song about the creed that we were singing about God the Father and the resurrection. I'm telling you, I almost went, I almost left the, the planet here as we were worshiping because there were people around me, Jim behind me, worshiping the Lord. We're worshiping the Lord together and there is no substitute for worshiping the Lord with other people. And we have to make sure that we discipline our bodies, that we don't get slothful or lazy about church attendance. It says in Hebrews 10, 23 and 24, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing, but all the more as you see the day approaching. So make sure that you and I have a habit, a habit of worshiping the Lord. Don't get out of the habit of the habit of worshiping the Lord with other people. Very important principle. Here's what I, I tell people. If you wait, and remember my coffee analogy, you know, flip the switch, you flip the switch, that makes me do my push-ups. So here's the thing, if you wait to Sunday morning to decide if you're going to come to church, you have a 50-50 chance of coming to church. But if the night before you make your decision on Saturday night that you're going to come to church, you make your mind up, you're going to come to church, and you get your clothes all lined out. Get your clothes lined out. You got your, you know, what you're going to wear tomorrow. You get your best jeans, your best t-shirt, your best van shoes, whatever you're going to wear. You get them laid out the night before, lay them out there. And when the alarm goes off, you see those clothes. That's the trigger to put the clothes on to come to church. Everybody say this way. Triggers help us to do what we need to do. Paul fought his flesh. We have to fight our flesh. We constantly are gravitating toward not being disciplined. We have to discipline ourselves spiritually. There is no spiritual growth outside of discipline. You are saved by grace, but you become a man or woman of God by discipline. And God just doesn't want to save you and take you to heaven one day. God wants to save you. And our church is about transformation. God wants to change you. He wants to make you a better husband. He wants to make you a better man. He wants to make you a better employee. He wants to make you a Christ-like person. And you can't become a Christ-like person without discipline. Everybody needs discipline, so your body doesn't want to do what it needs to do. So I just have to tell you, in my life, 
I constantly am fighting my flesh. My flesh doesn't want to do what it should do. And here's what Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I think it's verse 27. He said, I beat my body. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. He said, do you not know that in, uh, well, verse 27, there we go. No, I strike a blow to my body. Before this, by the way, verses 25 and 26, he's talking about a race, a runner running a race. And he said, run the race in such a way as to win. Be totally focused on the race. Paul lived in ancient Greece, you know, the Roman Empire when he was there. But he lived in a world where the Olympic Games were started. And he had been to events where he saw people train, runners train, boxers train. And they did, they did everything, they did their full training to be successful in the Games. And then he says, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself may not be disqualified for the prize. I strike a blow to my body. Everybody say, I strike a blow to my body. Now, I, re- I looked up that Greek word. What does it mean to strike a blow to my body? You know, a lot of translations say, I discipline my body. Now, the word, the Greek word is a little alarming. The Greek word means to punch yourself in the face. It means to give yourself a black eye. It means to punch yourself in the eye, give yourself a black eye. And I thought, boy, that doesn't sound like a good scripture. I'm not talking about asceticism here and, and you know, being abusive to your body. But Paul's saying, I don't take any stuff off my body. I'll just punch it in the face. You're going to do what you need to do. You're going you're gonna to serve the Lord. You're going to read the word. You're going to pray. You're going to go to church. I make my body do what my body ought to do because our bodies, our flesh does not want to do what it should do. And then our flesh wants to do what it shouldn't do. Our flesh wants to do what it shouldn't do. And that's one of the big issues that we wrestle with. And uh, 1, Corinthians, or 1 John chapter 2, verses uh, 15 and 17, we'll put that on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 2, verse 15 and 17. Let's see if we can find it here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 and 17. Uh, well, that's not it, but let's let me hear. First John, sorry, I'm, I'm, I told you the wrong. First John 2, 15 and 17. First John 2, 15 and 17. First John chapter 2, verse 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in, him, in them. So the second thing that we wrestle with is not our flesh, but the world. So you got the flesh, the battle is against, we have the flesh we battle against, and then the world. Do not love the world or anything in the world. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, comes not from the Father, but the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So here's, here you got this dynamic. You got the flesh that is, has a propensity toward not doing what it needs to do and a propensity toward doing what it shouldn't do. And then it talks about the flesh. What is the flesh? And then what, how does the world affect the flesh? Now, the, the, one of the things that the world does to influence our flesh is the world has a way of trying to inspire, inspire our flesh to do the things it shouldn't do. Now, here's what the flesh actually, or what the world actually is. The world is an organized system, an organized system headed by Satan that is... Anti, is the antithesis of God himself. 
that's moving against God, that's trying to uh, move in the opposite direction of God. The, the, here's what it says. The world as a whole is an organized system of spiritual force is a fact, the very embodiment of evil. It is the pervasive entity that exists quite apart from particular evil individuals. It is the structure of all the reality apart from God. It is a mindset and a frame of reference totally different from and opposed to that of Christ and his disciples. Now, here's, here's what the world is. The world is an organized system that you and I live in. It affects the education system that we're part of. It affects the government system that we're part of. It affects the media system that we're exposed to. The world is a, an organized system headed by Satan that is against the purposes of God. So do you ever feel like you're, you're swimming against the tide in culture? You feel like as a Christ follower, someone that loves Jesus, that you're sort of swimming against the tide, that, that everybody seems to be going in the opposite direction from you. And that's one of the things that we wrestle with. We wrestle with this, this uh, dynamic that the world is sort of a, the antithesis of God himself, and it's defiant of God. So when I think about my life following Jesus, as I'm following Jesus, one of the things that I experience and realize that not only do I wrestle with my flesh, my flesh not wanting to do what it should do, and my flesh wanting to do what it shouldn't do, I'm, I'm also in a system that's pushing me and pushing against me going toward the Lord. And that's true of everybody. Everybody that's a Christ follower has that experience, and we go, we go and we deal with that on a regular basis. So that's a very important thing that we, that we have to remember because it's a dynamic that we struggle with. It's a dynamic that we wrestle with. It's a dynamic that is constantly a battle for us. And so uh, John says there's, there's components to that. There's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the eyes. Now, here's what the world is. The world is, the world affects you by what you see. It affects you by what you see. The three components there, do not love the world or the things of the world. Of the world. You have the lust of the eyes, the lust of the eyes, things that you see. Now, that could be a lot of things. You know, your eyes and my eyes can get us into trouble. Things we look at, things that we see can, can really, really get us in trouble. Now, we think immediately of sexual things, and that's definitely a part of what he's talking about here in 1 John, that, that the, our eyes can get us in trouble. You remember Samson uh, in the Old Testament? Uh, it says that he, you know, the, the guy that was, had the long hair and he had the girlfriend Delilah who cut his hair off and he lost his strength. Now, it says about Samson that he saw, he saw a woman of Timnah. And he said to his mom and dad, get her for me. His eyes got him into trouble. He saw that woman and he said, get her for me. And then it says he went down to another Philistine town and he saw a prostitute. And he said, get her for me. So one of the things that happened to Samson is that Samson had issues with his eyes and his eyes were uh, leading him astray. And the Bible says that the world tries to work by inspiring us to see things or do things that we shouldn't do. And so we have to say, Lord, sanctify my eyes. Let my eyes 
Be sanctified and holy before you so that my, because the enemy says that, that the, the, the world and the lust of the eyes, so things that you see in, in, with your eyes. So that's an important thing that we need to remember. Very, very important thing that we wrestle with. Now, here's what you need to remember. There needs to be a balance to that. When you think about your eyes, the lust of your eyes, uh, here's the balance to that. The Pharisees in the, uh, in the New Testament time of Jesus, the Pharisees, Whenever they would see a beautiful woman on the street, uh, they were so, uh, so uh, legalistic, they would close their eyes and they would walk. And constant, co- consequently, they had bruises and cuts all over their head because they were running into things all the time. And uh, they were just like, they were like, you know, just bumping into things because they were closing their eyes. Now, when the Bible talks about the lust of the eyes, and one of the things that it means by that is that it, it, in, the, in the Old Testament, the New Testament, it is very, very clear acknowledging when someone is an attractive person. It says that and, and they were fair to look upon is how the King James says it. So there's not this sense of like, you know, there is a denial that this, isn't, this is not a, a, a person, attractive person. There's nothing wrong with recognizing that is an attractive person. That is, that is sort of a natural response. I remember some of you have heard me tell this story. When I was in Bible college, a group of us were uh, going to play tennis one Saturday morning in Pensacola, Florida. And we were coming back from playing tennis. And we come to this, uh, this inter- intersection in Pensacola. And Pensacola is a beach town. And so we're sitting there, we're all Bible college students, we're studying theology, and we're studying the Word, and, uh, and we're all going to be ministers or missionaries, and we're all there in this station wagon. How many of you remember station wagons? Remember station wagons? They were antique minivans, so it's station wagons. So we're there, and while we're at the intersection, we're the first car at the intersection, a beautiful, attractive girl uh, in a bikini walks across the street carrying, uh, she was actually walking her dog. And I mean, she was, the Lord had endowed her and blessed her in many ways. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and we're there and we're all Bible college students. And so what, what do we, you know, we're all like, <laughs> we're like, we're like looking at the floor, looking around. We're like, we didn't, you know, everybody was embarrassed. I mean, it was like, you know, nobody wanted to, you know, do anything. We're like, and the guy, I don't know if he'd ever knew the car, you know, if it turned green, you know, he had his head, head down. And so finally I said, you know, I thought we need to break the tension. I said, that's some dog, isn't it? That is some dog, right? <laughs> well, listen, there's nothing wrong with acknowledging that. But here's the thing. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the eyes has to do with us uh, making sure that, that we don't let the world affect our, our eyes, how our eyes are are, are, are affected by the world system. The world system, every advertisement, every, everything in media, everything is designed to seduce us. Everything. It's the world system. The world system is constantly assaulting people's eyes and what they see. Very, very, very uh, real deal that we, we all deal, deal with. I remember when I was in uh, Sunday school class, uh, when I was a, a teenager, this guy that taught our Sunday school class, a guy named Buzzy Friedel, and Buzzy was a good teacher. He was a, he was a meat cutter from Acme, and he taught Sunday school class on the weekends. And uh, he, he taught the teenage class, and I'm sitting in class one day, and he, was, and, and he was talking about how at work that week, that in the workroom, somebody had left uh, a pornographic magazine on, on, the, on, the, uh, on the table there, and he went on his break, and there was that porno magazine there. 
And so he, he walks there and he, oh, he gets it and he sees, he sees that and he sits down and he's trying to have his lunch and then he, he goes back to his, goes back to his, uh, his workstation and he's working. And all I can think about is that magazine. All I can think about is that magazine. So Buzzy said in the lesson, he said, so I put down my, my, my knife and the implements I was working with and I walked back to that workroom. And we're like on the edge of our seats. You know, we're all adolescent boys. We're on the edge of our seats. What's he going to say? What's he going to do? And Buzzy said, I went and I got that magazine. I turned it over and I carried that magazine out to the dumpster and I threw it in the dumpster. And we're like, yay, Buzzy. Yay, Buzzy. That's awesome. Say the lust of the eyes is a real thing. So the world works through the lust of our eyes. So how many are aware of the world system we live in, the world system we live in, does, that's a really big thing. How does the world trip up people? How does the world get people pulled away from the faith? How does the world do that? One of the things he does is the lust of the eyes. Now, the lust of the eyes is not simply maybe sexual things. The lust of the eyes could also be material things, you know, material stuff, you know. Have you ever, have you ever gone to a store and, and you see something and wow, your eyes get all inflamed and you gotta have that. How many have ever had that? You gotta have it. You see something, you just gotta have it. And here's what Dave Ramsey said about, you know, uh, buying things. Have you ever bought th- th- something you shouldn't buy here? Dave Ramsey said this. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. How many know that, what that's about? <laughs> we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. So, you know, sometimes you can do that. Karen and I, uh, we had a piece of carpet in our uh, living room uh, that was really messed up and it needed to be replaced. And so we went to get some carpet to replace the carpet there. And, uh, and so we were trying to replace the carpet. And so we went looking for carpet and we ended up over to John Genosics. And this was back in October. When, when we went looking for carpet and we're looking for carpet. And, you know, it's bad to go in a store that has all that stuff. You know, your eyes, the lust of the eyes. I mean, you see everything. And so we went in that store. Couldn't find any carpet. Well, we bought two couches and a love seat and a chair. That's what we did. <laughs> How many of that's ever happened to you? Lust of the eyes. You got you to gotta have it. Got to have it. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with material things and being blessed. We live in a very affluent community, and it's so good to see that happening. But here's the deal. Part of the world is to define our identity and our meaning and our worth by what we have and what we can obtain. And in your life and my life can be constantly getting the pile bigger and bigger and bigger and getting more and more stuff. And you see stuff that you don't have and your life is defined by getting more stuff and, and you become a, a materialist that you're just driven, your life is driven by getting more and more stuff and there's nothing wrong with getting stuff as long as stuff doesn't get you. So we have to watch that. We have to watch that. Now, I wouldn't even mention this except that Jesus made such a big deal of this. He said, don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth where rust and moth can destroy, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Uh, and then he says, here's what he, he follows this up in the Sermon on Mount. He said, you cannot love both God and mammon, or you cannot love both God and money. You cannot love both God and money. Say it with me. You cannot Love 
both God and money. He didn't say you can't have money. He doesn't say you can't have houses. He doesn't say you can't have boats. He doesn't say you can't have that stuff. It doesn't say you can't have that. We got Abraham very wealthy, very rich. We got Joseph of Arimathea who gave Jesus his grave that he, was, he borrowed for three days. We got Job who was rich. We got people in Scripture that were endowed with riches. But it says you cannot love money. Here's how it works. You cannot you cannot love. It cannot be your primary passion. It has to be your secondary passion. It has to be, it cannot be your primary passion. Here's how that works. It means that in your heart you have a chair. You have a chair in your heart. There's a chair, one chair in your heart. Right now, you have a chair in your heart. And only one thing can sit in that chair. It can't be money can't be getting ahead and being the richest person. It can't be your business. can't be anything. It can't be anything but the Lord. And when that rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, something's missing, you know, I've kept the commandments. I'm trying to, you know, I love God. I, you know, and I just, I, you know, something's missing. Something's missing in my life. And Jesus said to the man, he said, listen, he said, you know, it's only one thing off here. You, you just, you got to sell everything you have and you got to follow me. And the man couldn't do that because the man had sitting on the chair of his heart, he had his wealth. So I hope that Bayshore is filled with wealthy people. I hope we get wealthy people on every campus. But I don't want, and nobody in the kingdom of God should desire to have a church of people that don't make Jesus the first thing in their life. There is one chair in your heart, and Jesus has to be sitting on that chair and he has to be first and how you know if he is the lord and it's not the daughter sign how you know that is is there's a simple test is the test is is giving when you give you can give and that's that is the that is the vaccine that is the vaccine for curing us of excessive materialism the vaccine of excess of curing us of excessive materialism is giving, and many of you just give, and you're so faithful in that. So say this with me. Jesus has to be the primary passion of my life uh, and nothing else. The world and its desires pass away. You cannot love the world or anything in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of life, the, uh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You, you cannot love the world 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or anything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The pride of life is the accumulation. It's the accumulation of stuff. My life becomes about this. My life becomes about this. God is calling Bayshore Community Church to be in this community a group of people that are decisively connected to loving Jesus primarily in their life, primarily in their life. That we're to, we're to be true disciples of Jesus that love him with all of our heart and with all of our passion, that he is the primary thing in our life. He blesses us, he prospers us so that we can be a blessing. It says in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you. So what an incredible... Uh, I was reading about 
about uh, monkeys, how they catch monkeys in Africa. Maybe you've seen this before. That how they catch these monkeys is, is they, uh, they drill a hole in a coconut that's just big enough for a monkey to stick his, stick his hand in. And they have in the coconut, they have some fruit, a piece of banana, or some nuts. And the monkey puts his hand in the coconut and when he grabs a hold of the banana or the nuts, he makes a fist, and he can't pull his fist out of the hole in the coconut because he's holding on to the bananas and the peanuts or whatever's in there, and that monkey will literally hold on to those bananas or whatever he's got a hold of, and the hunters come right up to him and they capture him, and he's trying to get away the whole time, but he won't let go what he's holding on to. And so serving the kingdom of God, making Jesus first of our, of our life, is, is making him the centerpiece of our life, making him the number one thing in our life, and that we surrender completely to him and serve him with all of our heart. Say this with me, seek ye first, the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. Just lift your hands to the Lord. Let's say it again. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. Father God, we ask you, Lord, to help us as we, as we seek you today, as we become your people. Lord, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for pouring your grace out on our life. We thank you for the Spirit of the Lord filling us and helping us. We thank you that you're raising up in our midst, Lord, a church, a people that love Jesus and serve Jesus, make Jesus first. Lord, Paul said, I fought the good fight. He fought against the world. He, he fought against all the stuff that we fight against. He said, I fought the good fight and I finished the race. So, Father, let our passion be selected totally to you. We just give this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.